So we got this big US map put it up on the wall with those little colored pins. And we would color code everything where the hospitals were, where the universities were, where the military bases, the ship ports, those different things. And then we would research, you know, go to like a hundred different websites and research all the different markets, like Donato talked about crime statistics, economic development, all the different things. Every state you go into, you have to go to a different economic website to look at, you know, all the different economic statistics. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Get expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have my three co-hosts, Donato Callahan, Fia Mosley, and Lisa Parrish. How is everybody doing today? Great. Great, thank you. The word of the day is brought to you by Donato Callahan. Thank you, Adam. Today's word of the day is chronicle. Taken as the noun, it is the factual written account of important or historical events or verb and to record in a factual and detailed way. The obstacle of today is how do I know what market to invest in? It's a great question. question. It is a great question. And the first question is for Donato Callahan. Oh, amazing. Donato. What metrics do you use to determine if a market is worth investing in? Great, great question. And there's a few. So first off, when looking into any market, I like to separate what I'm asking when I'm saying, what is my market? So you can have an entire state, a region, a city, and even way more specific than that, like a neighborhood or a zip code in a city. You know, if I were to tell you I was buying in Chicago, that's great. Am I buying in north side of Chicago, south side, east side? There's a lot of variation even within a market. So first off, when I'm looking at a state level, I'm looking for the right laws. In short, are they landlord-friendly laws and tax-friendly states that will reward commercial multifamily investors from coming in and improving an area and an asset? We want to make sure that we have some of the cards in our hand and able to make sure that we can maneuver the legal processes that are involved in turning around an asset in a way that provides a favorable outcome to ourselves, our residents, and our investors. On a more specific level in the city, first, mo- first and foremost, I'm looking at population and job growth. Population is imperative because if people are leaving, that dwindles your renter pool. And if there are no renters left, you're out of luck. Nothing you can do there. And so we're looking for a net increase in births and immigration coming to that city. Additionally, job growth is crucial, but not just any jobs. We're looking for specific sectors. For example, some cities, if you look in the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, have massive spikes and then massive valleys in their job job growth statistics or employment. And that's simply because they're related to an industry like oil, where the price of oil can wildly fluctuate and affect the local job market. So we're looking for the increase in growth for jobs in sectors that are resilient to downturns and are going to continue to pump out employees and laborers that are looking for the type of housing that we're providing. So typically I'm looking for education, healthcare, government. Those three sectors are very, very desirable when it comes to where I'm gonna buy in a local market. 
Now getting even more specific, if there's tax friendly, there's landlord friendly states, populations growing, the jobs growing in the right sectors, then I'm getting more nitty gritty. Now I wanna see one, what are the crime statistics for the area right around me? Are they going up, are they down? Is it violent crime or property crime? And that matters because a renter will not rent somewhere they do not feel safe. And typically a renter can know within five seconds of driving around a property, if it's somewhere they can envision themselves living. Next, I'm gonna look at rents. And in those rents, I'm gonna see are the rents going up or down, are they steady? And for the unit, for the uh, unit count, the building that I'm buying, I have mostly two bedrooms. What are other two bedrooms performing at in my local market? Ideally, the building that I'm buying will have lower rents than ones around it so I can bring it up to market. Lastly, I'm also looking at businesses. What is around the property I'm buying that will attract people to live there? So if I'm renting somewhere, I want it near gym, I want it near my grocery store, I want it near local pharmacy. There are a couple of things that make up the lifestyle of the renter that you're trying to attract. So all of those things from the very macro state level to the micro of the neighborhood level come into play when I'm looking at where should AMF and ideally GLP and A&E come together to invest in. Yeah. Should I focus my attention on one market or build relationships in multiple different markets? Right. So this, you know, this podcast is geared towards people that are just coming into multifamily. That would be different, you know, for someone just starting out than for Lisa. So towards our target market, I definitely think I, I have seen more success in people that focus on one area and not a whole state. When you look at different teams that have are doing multiple deals and kind of have a steady growth, they're in one area. I don't really want to say one city because, you know, you can have sub markets and cities connected or say Waco is only 45 minutes from Dallas, Fort Worth. I don't think that's a big deal. But when you're going into totally different states or completely different areas of states, it takes quite a while to build relationships with brokers because there's a lot of people that come into the business and they're always kind of getting contacted by new people and they're going to work with the people that they know can close on deals. So there's a lot of building trust and having to prove yourself. And that is a lot harder to do in multiple places. I had kind of shared on a video, we had even ventured out to St. Louis because Donato lives there. We started in Texas around Dallas, Fort Worth and Abilene, Lubbock, Waco kind of surrounding areas. And then thought kind of like, what the heck, you know, we have someone that lives there. This is a good market. And it just, we just did better in Texas. There was more of the asset we were looking for. We had better relationships with the brokers. And, you know, from there, maybe you'll just expand. Like if we wanted to go into Houston or San Antonio or somewhere else, that's fine. But I think as a new person, the more narrow your focus is, the more excellent you can become at what you're doing and actually close on a deal than being kind of all over the place. That's not a solid foundation for a new business. Yeah, you need to learn new laws for every state you go into. Mm. Of course, there's county laws and stuff, but most of it's the mm. same. Lisa, 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 Lisa. When you were initially getting started, how did you choose your markets? So... We had a coach back when we were working with, you know, when we were in the Dave Lindell program and our coach suggested that we get a big U.S. map. This might be a little bit overkill, but this was a suggestion. It was kind of cool. So we got this big U.S. map put it up on the wall with those little 
colored pins and we would color code everything where the hospitals were, where the universities were, where the military bases, the ship ports, those different things. And then we would research, you know, go to like a hundred different websites and research all the different markets, like Donato talked about crime statistics, economic development, all the different things. You know, it would be really cool if there was one site, one website that you could go to to find all those things. And actually, just to explain really quick, that shirt that the Hourglass is on, Bright Investor, that actually is a company that's coming soon that is going to be solving that problem for us. So just to kind of throw that out there. But, you know, you had to go to all these different websites and try to figure out, you know, each market that you're looking at, you have to go to different websites, different. It's not like you can go to one and it's going to give you every state, every state you go into, you have to go to a different economic website to look at, you know, all the different economic statistics. So that was a lot of work, putting that all on a map and everything else. And for us, we, we had about five Southeast markets that we were looking at and would narrow down, narrow down, narrow down until we narrowed it down to two. Then what we did was we, we just started looking for deals. Once we found one deal that we were interested in, like Fia said, we started to focus. We said, okay, this is our market. And it was Monroe, North Carolina, just Southeast of, of Charlotte. That was our market. It's a tertiary market, you know, or secondary market to Charlotte. And we focused on that market for many years building a portfolio. The first property we bought was 23 units. So, you know, we managed it ourselves, but then we worked up a portfolio in that, in that particular market and used economies of scale to share employees and share vendors. And it made a lot of sense. It really helped us grow. And it took a little bit of time, you know, several deals before then, like Fia said, again, then we started to venture into a sep a different area outside of Charlotte because we had built those broker relationships. And it's really important to have those broker relationships and to get them as close as you can, because it takes a lot of time and effort to build those relationships. So if you're all over in several different markets, you can't really hone in on that relationship, those relationships so much. And one thing I'd suggest is that I suggest that everyone has two or three really good brokers in a market and try to have maybe at least two of them with a bigger company like Cushman, Wakefield, Marcus, and Millichap. Yes. Agree. I had no idea what that map was when I was little. Oh, was the <laughs> big map that, that we had up with all I, the pins. I remember that. that map. I didn't know that's what that was. <laughs> that's what we did. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time focusing on that map. There were so many pins on that thing. <laughs> Never really thought about that. Yep. That's pretty cool. All right. And this is a question for everybody. Do you currently invest in your own backyard? Go with Donato. Who do you want to start? Donato? Donato, because I did him originally. Sure. The answer to that is yes. So as Fia mentioned, I live in St. Louis City, specifically Tower Grove South. And I own property here. I own a fourplex that I house hack. I bought it the day I turned 22. I woke up, had a birthday breakfast, and signed on the dotted line by 10 a.m. And since then, I've slowly been renovating the units, and it's on track to cash flow by the end of this year, over $2,000 a month coming off that property. So yes, I do buy my own backyard. I live in my own investment, which has given me a lot of hands-on experience with fixing toilets and how to engage with residents and how to do landscaping and how to do all these couple of things. And also, I learned all the things I don't want to do and what my skills are. And yeah, I think that investing in your backyard for your first investment is definitely not a bad way to go, but that is definitely dependent on where your backyard is. 
You know, some areas that you're going to be able to invest in you already live in are great. You know, they happen to be in an emerging market. You're buying in the right area. You have all the right support system. It's fantastic. The other people who are maybe living in a market that is either oversaturated or it's too expensive, or they don't have the support system, or for a variety of factors, their backyard isn't conducive to investing, sometimes going outside that market. And I would argue more often than not, it's better to go outside your immediate market and find somewhere that the investment's going to continue to grow for the next three, five, 10 years. But yeah, I've loved investing in St. Louis. I've had good luck with it, and I'll continue to do so on a small scale. So yeah, I've heard good things about St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is great, my boy. Fantastic. Come on down. Fia next. What, what do you currently invest in your own backyard? No, do not. It's might as well invest in California. Idaho has just hit that point. I mean, our house, some of our housing, uh, single family housing is passed up Sacramento and Riverside. So, and at this point where the prices are going down, and that's not what you're looking for when you're buying an apartment complex and you know the value add model that we're using. It would be great, you know, if we live, if I lived in Texas to build the relationships with the brokers, meeting people face to face is totally different. But if that's not the situation you're in, you just got to do the best you, you can do. Since we started on our first property, we have made it down there more often and just being able to go in and meet people you've been talking to on the phone for a year or whatever it is. It's just a game changer. People trust you more. They can feel your energy, feel if they like your personality. I mean, you get some of that on the phone, but it really is different in person. So if people do live in a market, say if you lived in North Carolina or St. Louis, Missouri, and you wanted to do multifamily there or Texas, I definitely would not go looking outside of your home state because you have a huge advantage. Huge. Lisa? Um, well, when we first got started in 2007, we lived in Arizona. And so no, that the market in Arizona, it was in, on the verge of crashing. This was the end of 2007. So when we found our market, because we were realtors and basically found ourselves making no money, basically unemployed because, you know, residential real estate was was crap at that point. So we decided actually, you know, it's all the advantages that Fia and Donato just talked about being in your own backyard. We decided to make our market, our backyard and move across country. And, you know, that's not something obviously that everyone can do. The timing just was right for us and it made sense. So, so we did that. And then we found the huge benefits of being in our own backyard at that point, because we were able to build relationships as locals. And in some places, as a local, especially in the Southeast, you know, Southern people tend to want to trade amongst themselves. And so that's what we are finding is that we were at, if, as Arizonans trying to, you know, get into to the Carolinas, they had, they had, you know, kind of like the good old boys, the, you know, the groups where they don't really want to work with the outsiders. Once we were local though, and we were meeting people for lunch regularly, and they knew that we lived there and we became a part of the community, that it was a game changer. So it really does, it really is great to, for it to be in your backyard if possible, if the, the market makes sense or if you can even move toward it. If not though, then I suggest that there at least someone on your team is close enough where you can be there within a couple of hours in case an emergency happens or something happens where it's just important for you to be able to go out there then you can have somebody go out there regularly. Obviously, it's a little bit more expensive. You've got to add in travel costs into your, you know, into your underwriting for that. But yeah, you know, sometimes it's just not possible and you don't want to be investing in a market that doesn't make sense just because you're there. Yeah, so you can just relocate your market. 
Right. Yep. yep. I have a question for Lisa. So yeah, what you were saying though, also like I've noticed one of the first markets, well, this is a statement, then a question. One of the first markets we were looking at, it was Lubbock before we kind of really were looking in Dallas, Fort Worth. And that's something that I noticed if I ever did get something from a broker, there was very little information and they told me it's just kind of like that trading within. So anyway, we ended up buying our first deal in Waco. But my question for Lisa is when I'm talking to new students who, you know, don't really have a team that they're working with, they haven't formed a company, they don't really know exactly what their roles are, they might have some kind of idea and they tell me like, oh, you know, we're going to look in Georgia and I'm going to move there in a couple months or I'm going to move from California to Arizona. That's going to be my market. Do you think it's a good idea for people who really don't have any experience yet to pick up and move for the purpose of multifamily investing? I think it really depends on what stage you are, because we, we didn't do it until we knew we were closing on the deal. Um, I mean, if you, you have to be really committed because it costs a lot of money and, and effort and everything else to move. So you don't just want to move and then go, oh, well, maybe this isn't my market because it happens a lot of times that we probably all experience this. You choose a market. Menor, North Carolina was not our first market that we chose. We were looking in Alabama and, all, you know, we, we were in several different markets and we were negotiating deals. But then once the deal that we finally, we had a deal that we were negotiating, we were in contract. We got past due diligence. We knew that we were closing on the deal. We had the money, everything else. That's when we started planning on the move. So my suggestion would be if that is something that you want to do and you're in a place where you can move, then wait until you know that you've got a deal there. And then you're going to build like basically what we did was we we bought the next several properties we bought were in that particular market. Then we sort of bought, then we bought one a couple in Charlotte. And then, like I said, outside another area outside of Charlotte. But even we lived there and we continued investing there for 10 years. So it was, you know, before we started branching out, then we kind of branched out into South Carolina and then Texas. We did it slowly though. And I feel like branching out slowly, you really get to know your market. You really kind of monopolize in an area, but you don't want to over monopolize. So you monopolize in an area and then you slowly move to the next. Awesome. Right. Anything else on the main topic? Anybody wants to say? When I was first getting started in market research for AMF, there were a couple of different factors that I looked at because we were specifically looking at commercial interests in the areas. And so the first stop looked at population using the U.S. Census. And the number I was looking at was over the last decade that they had. So I was looking at 2011 to 2021. Did the population grow at least 10%? So I wasn't looking at intra-year, but over a course of a decade, how has it grown? Was it projected to keep going up? The next thing was jobs. Same thing. Whereas the overall employment for that specific metropolitan area gone up 10% over the past decade. More nitty gritty than that, I would look at renter population. So some sites in some like US census has this information as well. Well, you can look at what percentage of the local population are renters versus owners. So for example, there are specific places in uh, Texas, certain neighborhoods feel you'll help me out on one of them. Sugarland, I think is what it is. But mm -hmm really high home values, really high rents. It's awesome. But like 82% of the people who live there are owner occupants. Those people who own their own homes. So if I buy a place in that neighborhood, the renter pool just isn't there. So I was looking for places that had at a minimum 40% renter population for that specific area. So are people actually living there? 
And what that tells me is one, if the renter population is either too high, like 80 or 90% or way too low, like 20, 30%, housing is likely unaffordable or there's little ability for people to have upward economic mobility where they can afford to move into nicer places that our team is trying to provide. So I like, to, I like, I like that 40 to 60% range for renter population. And then even more nitty-gritty than that, I look at minimum wage too. This is kind of on a state-by-state -state basis. Is the state that we're going into increasing minimum wage? Is the local laws increasing minimum wage? What's the average income in the area? Trying to understand what are people able to afford when it comes to the rent. You know, there's the old adage of 30% when it comes to spending your income on rent. Are we buying in a place where people can abide by that? Are we buying in a place where the rents that we need to make it make sense for our investors too high for local population? That's a big question mark. And we need, we need to know that the product we're providing matches the audience in that market. So I would typically look for anything in the, I think the national median income for a household is like around $55,000. So around that mark, anywhere from like 50 to 65 to 70,000 is pretty solid. I like to see for an area. Those are some of the numbers that I looked at in for those main categories when I was first getting started with AMF. How about a, path of prog path of progress oh, and you yeah. know, large large properties that or large companies that are moving toward certain markets and bringing sure. you know all the the multiple jobs to the market? That's another for thing sure. to think about. So definitely love to look at Fortune 500 companies that are investing in certain markets, or if not Fortune 500 companies, companies that are startups or on the rise that are able to put millions of dollars into investment. So for example, with Waco deal that we did, two of the biggest selling points that I was able to key in on for why that market was doing great, why I think we should invest more in there was because two companies, specifically Amazon and Celebrity Couple, Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell's plant-based baby company, Hello Bello, had invested in manufacturing and warehouse space and industrial space out just outside the city limits. And through the looking at the website, reading news articles about it, I had seen they were pouring millions of dollars to create hundreds of jobs, paying $15 an hour over, you know, for that market, showing that not only are we interested in the market, but other major players are interested in this market as well. And this is one of those situations when you're choosing a market where you want to kind of be like everybody else. So think about in your city, when you go to, you drive past a certain intersection and there's a Taco Bell, a McDonald's, a Wendy's, a Hardee's, a Jimmy John's, and all those different fast food retailers all in the same place. Have you ever thought about why? Why are they all in the same location? All of those companies have budgets in the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars when it comes to where do we need a franchise? They're going to pour in way more resources than an entry-level commercial multifamily team is going to be able to do and investigate in the area. If you can buy a property in close proximity to a bunch of nationally recognized retailers like fast food places, entertainment venues like Top Golf, or movie theaters, or major um, white-collar professionals like healthcare, banks, things of those nature, when you are buying in that area, you are leveraging not only your own research, but the research of every other company that's in that area. And the likelihood that all of those companies are wrong about where they're spending their own money goes down the more companies you have nearby. So doing research when it comes to local news, checking out Fortune 500 websites and trying to find, and even just going on Google Maps and looking to see what businesses are nearby or looking at you know maybe a software that provides all the information in one spot, I'm just saying, <laughs> you can have a really good idea of what other companies are investing in that region. 
And that can help make you way more confident in knowing that I'm buying a property next to these amenities that provide the lifestyle our renters want. And by finding better housing nearby, more people move in, thereby using those amenities such as local food franchises and shopping malls. And it becomes a feedback loop of investing not only in the community, but in each other's businesses. That's a chronicle of insightful information. What a word of the day. What a word. I was actually just going to ask, I was going to ask you, Fia, is it still snowing like the Chronicles of Narnia in Idaho? No, it's warm. It's 45 degrees. It's warm (laughs) for here. Anyway, 45 degrees. snow like the Chronicles of Narnia. That's the only thing way I can throw that in. Well, we'll be in Orlando shortly here. So, you know, I'm going to take advantage of that. Fia, you have to use Chronicle in a sentence. Dr. Dre. Isn't that a Dr. Dre album? Yeah, it is actually. Or Snoop Dogg. I forgot. (laughs) That's all I know is 90s rap. Me too. It is a, let me see here. It's, I have a Chronicles by Lil Durk and a couple other songs. I'm not as inclined to the hip hop as you are, Fia. So I'll let you take a note on that one. I don't know. Well, that's, I grew up, you know, I was in high school in the 90s, right by LA. So that's when everything kind of started. Anyway, not to get off of multifamily. One of the biggest issues that I see with people when they're starting to research markets is not that they can't find the information, it's that they don't know which information to act on. I've met a lot of people who will say, I'm going to find out the best markets for us to invest, on, invest in. And they'll do the research and they'll send me a copy of what they're doing. And I'll get 30 pages of citations and bullet points and research that they've done. And it's great research, you know, if I'm writing a thesis, but I'm not. And kind of what we talked about in our last podcast episode, we need to be able to distill the high quality bits of information. What do I need to know? What is the 80% that I need to know to make a left or right decision right now? Granted, we're going to learn more as you go through the process. But what is the most important, the most critical pieces of data that I need to know if this is what I want to do? And so not only is it important to be able to find the research and you know make sure you're getting it from quality, reputable sources, and you can answer questions, the next step in your growth is learning how to compress that down into a very dense, very specific line item by line item, like a page or two of this is why I like this place. You can read this document in 30 seconds to two minutes, and now you know if this is going to match or not match your criteria. So being able to take all of your stuff and whittle it down to the core essence of whether this is a good or bad market is critical to being able to scale and bring on partners who don't have all the time in the world to hear all the research that you did. So that's something that I had to learn early on because the very first few emails I think I sent to the GLP and A&E were really long. And really quickly, I got back a, can you make this, not this? And I went, okay. And Narrow so it down. Just, yeah, t- trim it down. And so you adapt. And so I did. And so we trim it down. And then by building a relationship with, you know, Adam, Lisa, and Greg, and Eric, we learn more specifically, what do our sponsors want to see? What are the questions they're going to ask? Can I answer those questions you know, in advance? So by the time we're already having our presentation and they ask the question, answers already there. And so you're learning the preferences of the partners that you're working with. 
which means that your research time gets cut down over time because you know what you're looking for. Your criteria become more clear and overall it's a more seamless process. I want to say one more thing and I agree with all that, Donato, but I want to say one more thing. One of the huge advantages for us, and I think one of the ways that we probably made the most amount of money was that we were paying attention to, we were kind of looking around at what everyone else was doing. We all do that. It's hard not to do that. But we also, so we would pick the markets, you know, based on, well, we would go to the, we would go to the seminars and everyone was interested in people who were in Texas or North Carolina. This was, this was 15 years ago. Those markets are, have been hot all along and they still are. But that was one of the reasons it's either if you're in North Carolina or in Texas, you were getting a lot of attention. And so we always kind of wanted to go into Texas and it's the same kind of thing, Fia, more like you, like just this, the feeling of it. And that's what, that's what people are doing. But we went into, we, so we went into the Charlotte area, into North Carolina, but we found a small market that no one was paying attention to. So like I said, that tertiary market, we didn't have competition. Like if we were in Charlotte, there's all kinds of competition in Charlotte, but we weren't, we didn't have a competition in Monroe, North Carolina. Nobody even knew what that was. It's a small town outside of it. Then we went into Hickory, North Carolina. Now Hickory is completely oversaturated, but we did that a year before everyone else did made a killing doing that. So if you can find a market that's outside of a hot market, and maybe people haven't really discovered it yet, you might be able to get in before everyone else. And that's that's where you can really make make the money. For and sure. we're in that kind of a market right now where, where those markets are are there. You're looking for the, the emerging market, the market that really nobody seems to care about yet, but it has the path of progress moving toward. And almost every city across the nation will have some type of city plan something that's dictating what plans they've approved for expansion to certain areas. But that can take a lot of research into a lot of websites trying to find the right map that's updated. And you got to call the right secretary. He's only in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays from 12 to 12.15. We can give you the link you need to actually see that PDF. <laughs> 15 a minutes. Lot of research. But she's actually so, eating so, during that time. Yep. <laughs> so a great way to kind of bypass that looking at build permit data. For example, Houston. If I talk to people who are in Houston and I, they ask me, where are you investing? Where are you looking into Houston? They're going to know by whether I say East Houston or West Houston, if I've done my research. Because if you know, Houston is growing West because to the East, there's a Gulf of Mexico. Can't really build that direction. People are going West. And so if I'm looking at a property that is in the central to East side of Houston, I know that the city is organically moving the other direction, which means what new companies, new businesses, and other commercial multifamily investors are going to pour money in the direction opposite of me. Now, is that going to be a boon or a bust for my property? Me, probably a bust. So exactly as Lisa's saying, if I can buy somewhere where like, hey, the epicenter is right here. And in like three years, it's going to be like four miles down the road. Why don't I buy there? I can do my renovation plan. And when everyone starts paying attention to this spot ready to buy and they need housing because people are moving in for jobs, lo and behold, there's a brand new, completely repositioned property for them to move into, or even better, another investor to buy so that they can take their turn around the merry-go-round with a property. And that is the same you know, mindset when it comes to cities. You know, commuting is real. Very few people, I would say very few, but there's a large percentage of people who commute, you know, 20 to 30 minutes for their job on a day-to-day -day basis. And typically it's for cost of living. They're living outside the metropolitan area. They're renting somewhere else or buy, living somewhere else. And they drive in for work and they come out. So if, if you can find a city 
that is in the path of progress to another major metropolitan area. And you know that at some point, those cities are going to become more connected, a more busy corridor, and that city is going to see an explosion of growth. You are literally doing the planting of the seed in that emerging market so that as soon as the building permits, as soon as the development, as soon as the jobs catch up to you, you have this ripe, beautiful product ready to make your awesome exit. Something I've uh, also heard that's pretty interesting is, for example, California, you can't really build much there. So there's, it's hard to see rent really going down anytime soon. Then again, there's also lots of people leaving. So Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people leaving. That's, Still highly that's unlikely, though, because you're paying for 70 degrees in the ocean, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's that. You know, people are fine paying four grand a month for a one or two bedroom. That comes from a California. In California, it's seeing a demographic shift. You know, the same way we talked about Sugarland earlier. If people who are unable to afford three, four, five thousand dollars a month and they don't want to have roommates, maybe they're starting families, maybe that just doesn't meet what they're looking for. If they have to move out, then everyone that's moving in is going to be higher income and maybe more amenable to a living situation like that. And so when it comes to the product that we're selecting for investing, product that we're buying needs to match the ideal demographic. And if we're buying a product for a demographic that is emigrating out of the state, that's already walking into a losing situation. So just like with California, if you're going to buy there, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, this is not advice somewhere you should buy. Make sure what you're purchasing matches who you want to rent to. So everybody has different needs and different wants, and that's crucial. Trivia time! Are you guys ready for trivia time? Yep. Do it. How often are property taxes reassessed in Florida? Oh. Okay. So for those who don't know, this varies by state. For our audience, some do it on a you know reset time basis, and some have a reset on That's, sale kind of. It can be clause. county. It's by it's by county. By county, even worse. <laughs> There's right. no way for you to county. Oh geez, okay. Florida, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna infer it's on sale, for on on purchase and sale renegotiate or reassess. But you can always, you know, debate that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the dive default is on sale. I got this information from someone who lives in Florida, so you can blame it on them. Okay. The same answer was on Google, but I wanted to check with someone who lived in Florida. Mm. Is it by county in Florida or is it just by state? It didn't look like it. They all gave the same answer. It didn't say by county. Okay. Could be by state. I just know in North Carolina it's by county. I have a feeling Donato's probably right on that one. Some some places do yearly, which is kind of what we're used to, but I think he might be right. I think Florida might be a little bit more relaxed than every single year. No, he on sale. Meaning yeah. like anytime that it sells. Right. That's, that's yeah. the worst. That's what yeah. Texas is, and that's the worst. Don't like and South Carolina's like that too. Don't like that. But yeah, I, I agree. It's probably on sale. Okay. Via? Yeah, that's what I thought too. I could that, say yearly just to say something different. Yeah, we're gonna all have the same answer. There you go. <laughs> all right. So if he's got yearly. The answer is once a year. Oh, oh, oh nice. Wow. Okay. 
Her love yeah. winning by yeah. accident. That, that's how Fia always wins. She just says something right? everybody else. Yeah. Once a year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it's perhaps is that just because, you know, with no state income tax, need to be, you know, harder pushers on getting that higher property tax every single year. I can see that. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. They need, to be, they need to be reassessing yearly so they can continue to increase revenue, you know, checks out. According to census.gov, as of 2021, the median household income in the United States is 70784 According to IncomeByZipCode.com, in 2021, what was the median household income in Idaho? 2021? Yeah, these are 2021. That's like the latest that they have. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, well, let's see, Fia. We are both in Idaho, 2020, 2021, when everyone was in California. <laughs> <laughs> in California is. I would say 50 or 55,000, 50. I would say so too. There's a lot of rural Idaho. So it's not just Boise or, you know, you know, Sun Valley. There's a lot of rural Idaho. So I'd say, no, nah, I'll say 50. I'm gonna say 53, 53. I'll go with 50 then. I'm gonna say 47. Yeah. Well, minimum, earlier you mentioned minimum wage. It's still 725 here. I think that's mm -hmm. how much it was when I was a child in California. So, <laughs> oh, in California, right? Well, according to IncomeByZipCode.com, it was 63377 Okay, not okay. bad. Which is still That's lower like than the U.S. Bad. average. Oh, yeah. Well, which okay. is crazy because of how the prices have gone up. Like you were talking about people leaving California. They came here, oh. especially during COVID. So, yeah, with the 725 this is another reason I wouldn't invest here 725 minimum wage the housing prices the average house uh, at least the last time i checked was about six hundred thousand dollars for a typical two bed or three bed two bath yeah you're not really set up for success so mostly the local people are are losing their houses people from california can swoop them up so it's been a pretty hard situation when i was uh, when i was in college during covid and i was getting my first job and i was getting into real estate first job in real estate I started working as a maintenance coordinator for a property management company just so I could get my foot in the door and start learning how does the leasing work, how do maintenance requests work. And part of my job as well was when one of the people who owned the company, Corby Goad, Boise Durnkey Investments, if you see it, go check them out. If they sold, if they sold a house to a client, they would need someone to help them like move stuff, move stuff in sometimes. Like, hey, they didn't want to hire a moving company and they needed a couple of guys to come over and help move them. So they'd call me, say, hey, just sold this guy's house on 123 Banana Street. Can they call you and pay you for a couple hours and you and your buddies can come over and come help them? I was like, sure, no problem. So I'd call and I got a call and they said, hey, sold a house. Can you help these guys move in? They're from they're from California. I'm like, sure, I'll help and I'll help the invasion. Why not? So I go over there for a couple hours, move the stuff into the house, and two weeks goes by. I get another call. They say, Hey, you helped us move into our house two weeks ago. My brother just bought a house in Boise from California. Can you come help him move in? I'm like, sure, no problem. Double down the evasion. We can do this thing. Go over there, move them in, go away. About a month later, I get another phone call. Hey, now our parents are moving out of California to come to Boise. Can you move them in? At that point, I had to say, no, I can't. I can't be a part of this mutiny. Uh-uh, no way. <laughs> can't do it. I'm mutinying. You know, I just couldn't be a part of the chronicle of Californians moving into Boise just page by page. I couldn't be a part of that chapter book anymore. I had to you know, <laughs> preserve the sanctity of Boise.
I love it. Word of the day, people. All right, next question. Oh, yeah, who got the last one right? I was like, Donato. Yeah, not going over. Okay. According to Zumper.com, what is the median rent for a two-bedroom in Waco, Texas? I don't know. Donato's probably got this two-bedroom. I'd say $9.50. This is according to Zumper.com. Other websites have different data, but it's all pretty similar. Mm. $8.85. Yeah, it's going to be between... It's gonna be like it's gonna be low eight hundreds to a thousand. I'm gonna go with what do you say, Lisa? Eight eighty-five. Yes, I'm gonna go eight forty-five. Oh, I said nine fifty, so I probably busted, but oh well. And this is for a, a two-bedroom in Waco, Texas. Mm-hmm. It is thirteen hundred twenty-one. We bought in the right area. We, yeah, we <laughs> sure did. Heck yeah, that's freaking really? awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know what's crazy about that? I, the duplex that Donato was living in that I had, they were only like two bedroom, one bath, definitely nothing fancy. It was a house that was transitioned into a duplex on Zillow. It kept saying like it would the rent should be like eleven fifty or something like that. I had it up at sixteen fifty a month, not when he was there. But yeah, so like sometimes the websites aren't really up to the demand. There was so many people that needed rent, you know, that was just that's, the price. That's what I was thinking is that usually they're lower. Right. Yeah, wow. It's usually yeah. outdated and lower. And then you have to actually do your own research to be able to come up higher. It's not usually high like that. Yeah. Our comp- I know. That's weird. Yeah, our comps were not at 1300 and tell you that right now. I got to imagine that the area right around Baylor and that downtown area of Waco towards the north northeast quadrant mm-hmm. of the city towards the downtown is probably skewing that a little bit higher. But that's yeah, good news for us, so. I guess. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think could gain value from today's podcast. What obstacles are you facing? Let us know in the comments section and we'll discuss a solution in a future episode. If you're interested in passively investing with us, you can go to am-multifamily.com or email Fia at am-multifamily.com. Those links will be in the show description along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you and have a roaring day.